0: article says wear your pearls as often as possible when not worn keep them wrapped in blue paper. Once a year they should be restrung and washing with a lava of soap and water but your jeweller should send a woman to do that, do not attempt it yourself.
1: The story of my father and his egg, the fact that he made the world's largest jewelled egg, I suppose the passion and interest in that came first. The Kaczynski Family business is something that I grew up with. It it has been found. You know, there's Merkers mine and there's other examples of individuals finding gold showing up sort of decades later. It's not impossible. Some other sources, which again are all kind of murky, hold that La Pellegrina was not actually discovered until the 1570s. So it could not possibly have been the pearl that Philip gave to Mary. What's really fascinating about this piece is that it it looks on the surface a bit quite simple. It's got a sort of geometric design on all four faces of the pyramids. But when you really look closely at it, the the design of it is completely staggering. Welcome to today's episode of History Gems Girls in Pearls, which is centred around the exhibition currently running at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich, Tudors to Windsor's British Royal Portraits which is a major art exhibition exploring the changing nature of the British monarchy and royal portraiture over 500 years.
0: When we we looked at um, the coverage of Prince Philip's funeral uh, recently, what you see is all of the mourners, all of the royal mourners, all of the women at that, that funeral, they're all wearing pearls.
1: My guest today is Senior Curator of Art, Sue Pritchard. I can't wait to start delving into the history of pearls with her. Welcome to History Gems, Sue. And it's really a great privilege to be talking to you today, especially because I'm really really fascinated by the title of the episode that you suggested which is girls in pearls
0: (laughs) I couldn't I couldn't resist that title I mean you know pearl necklaces are so much they're such a fundamental part of our jewelry boxes um and when you look over the history of, of pearls I mean they're absolutely fascinating right from sort of you know the classic 16th century portraits of women with their you know long sort of ropes of fabulous, lustrous pearls. Elizabeth I obviously springs to mind. She's the most iconic wearer of pearl jewellery, but right up to the 20th century, where um, you've got the introduction of cultured pearls and Mikimoto, and of course, Marilyn Monroe and her famous um, single um, strand of pearls, which um, she she wore as she emerged from her, from court after her di- uh, divorce from Joe DiMaggio. So they are they are just so much part of our, our visual landscape.
1: Absolutely. And you touched a bit on Elizabeth I there. And I just want to come back to that because her portrait does feature in the exhibition at the moment, doesn't it? Well, she
0: actually um, features in two um, exhibitions. She's not only in Tudor's to Windsor's, Uh, which is our major exhibition in the National Maritime Museum. Um, But we've actually brought um, the three existing Amada portraits of Elizabeth I together for the very first time in their 400-year history in the Queen's House. And, of course, the Queen's House is on the site of um, the old Tudor Palace, exactly where Elizabeth was born.
1: Wow. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. So visitors to Queen's House are in for a real treat there. They've got an
0: um, absolute smorgasbord of delights with Elizabeth at the moment, yes.
1: Um, what is, what, why are pearls so associated with Elizabeth? Why did she love them so much? And why did she, why did she choose to wear them in her portraits, do you think?
0: Well, um, Elizabeth adored pearls, um, very much like her mother, Anne Boleyn. Um, but she was very astute and she was very clever in the way that she used them in a distinctly um, you know, it was all for her about propaganda. Um, and Elizabeth used pearls as a symbol really of, of chastity and purity, and that fitted in with her um, reinvented herself as a virgin queen. Pearls um symbolise, as I say, um the virginity. Um, Elizabeth was sometimes characterised as the moon goddess in reference to the goddess uh, Diana or Cynthia, again, a goddess renowned for her chastity. Um, Portraits frequently show her clothing and her hair adorned and covered with pearls. Um, But of course, fashions of the period dictated a a focus on abundant surface decoration. So as well as these large pear-shaped pearls hanging from one or both ears, she always had long strings of pearls. And as you point out, um, Nicola, in in your amazing book, um, Elizabeth's Rival, Lettuce Knollis, um, um, Dudley actually um, basically tasked Lettuce with delivering, as part of his will, delivering this um, strand of of pearls to Elizabeth. Um, And these are allegedly the pearls that she wears in her Armada portrait.
1: That's amazing. Do we we actually think that, they really were the pearls that she's wearing in the Armad portrait. Do you have an inkling?
0: Well, I think, again, there's this whole mystique around jewellery and that idea of gifting of jewellery. But, you know, the amazing thing about portraits is, you know, frankly, you know, they they are the only records we have of of, um, examples of jewels. They're the only records that we have where, where the jewels no longer exist for so many reasons.
1: Yeah I know and I mean we are very fortunate aren't we to have those records in such a visual way because like you say it's and I and I know from my own research it's um it's very frustrating sometimes when you when you come to try and and, and trace a jewel and there's no documentary record of it but these portraits I think we're so lucky to have this wonderful array of, of visual evidence?
0: Well, in fact, we only have um, one um, example, basically, um, which sort of illustrates the, the, the kind of coming together of both the portrait and the jewel. And that's the classic, most famous case of the, the Drake jewel, which is the, um, the jewel that was given to Sir Francis Drake by Elizabeth um, after the success of the Armada campaign. Um, And actually at Greenwich, we've got both the portrait of Francis Drake wearing his jewel and the actual jewel itself in um, the National Maritime Museum. And this is an amazing sort of cameo where it has the profiles of a black man and a white woman, onyx and sardonyx, um, which gives this contrasting shades of glossy blounds and white. And when you open up the jewel, it actually reveals a Hilliard miniature of of, um, Queen Elizabeth from 1588, date of the Armada. So this is one of the few examples that we have of both the portrait and the jewel together. And what's amazing is um, the the jewel actually appears again in another portrait, which is the portrait of Elizabeth Beatrix Drake, um, Lady Seaton, by the artist Edward Long, which is dated around about 1884. And she wears the Drake jewel on a rope of jewels. And this portrait still exists at Buckton
1: um, Abbey in Devon. Oh, wow. I I had no idea. And to me, this certainly suggests that the Drake jewel was a particularly important jewel if not just one sitter, but two were depicted wearing it in portraits.
0: Absolutely, because as I say, there is this kind of cachet and this mystique around jewels that are held, you know, handed down through the families. Um, and certainly there is a, a train of thought that suggests that um, Anne Boleyn's pearls um, and her iconic, you know, the famous portrait of, of Anne Boleyn, where she's wearing her, her French hood, which has the two bands of, of pearls, and her necklace with the gold B with the three pearls hanging at the bottom. Mm. There is a suggestion um, that um, her jewels were um, gifted to Elizabeth. But, of course, Elizabeth had to be incredibly political. She had to align herself with her father, um, Henry Eighth. She wasn't allowed to acknowledge um, her mother, Anne, because, of course, Anne had been um, basically accused of being um, a witch. She was accused of sleeping with various courtiers. She was accused of incest and, you know, obviously was beheaded um, so that um, Henry could then go on and marry Jane Seymour. Um, and there's a very, um, you know, very early portrait uh, of Elizabeth where, she ring, where she's wearing a string of pearls um, with a jewel pendant with three hanging pearls. And I, and it, although it doesn't have the, the iconic B. I think this is definitely um, Elizabeth's reference in that early portrait of her mother, because, again, she's wearing um, a French hood, a red French hood. But she's got the two bands of pearls with this necklace. And this is a portrait that she actually actually gifted to her brother. Um, so I think, you know, she, she may, you know, she, I think even at an early age, she was quite political, even though there's no evidence to suggest that she is actually wearing the, the the jewelry um of of Anne. I think there is this reference to her and as as you had a, a you know, an amazing conversation with with Tracy Borman um about the checklist ring, you know, Anne was although it wasn't overt, she was very close to that memory of her mother.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean that's that's really really interesting to because I I've, I've never heard anybody Suggest that before I, I don't think, and so uh, that really fascinates me. And because that's what I was going to ask you actually was if um, part of the reason Elizabeth chose to adorn herself in pearls was as this sort of reference to her mother, and you know presumably. The portrait that we see of Anne wearing pearls we know obviously that pearls were symbolic of purity and presumably Anne wasn't wearing them in this way um or I, I don't know maybe she was but um but it's quite interesting that you know Elizabeth may have been then basically the reasons why she loved pearls so much then may have been multifaceted.
0: Absolutely but you know, pearls for centuries, pearl necklaces have been the most prestigious of jewels. Um, um, you know, uh, royalty loved their 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 jewels. Um, um, and pearls were a fundamental part of their adornment. Um, but as I say, I think Elizabeth, you know, um, she is incredibly political. She has to be because, you know, she is a single woman on the throne. Um, yeah. And so that idea of being the Virgin Queen, of rejecting um marriage proposals of rejecting that idea of sharing her throne with a man and devoting herself as you know this virgin queen and the mother of her people was very important to her. Um, and again, I think particularly if you reference Anne, you know, Anne was this the, the sort of Protestant whore um, and you know had to endure those most terrible kind of propaganda around the fact that she couldn't produce this male heir for Henry, that Elizabeth has to be very um, canny in terms of how she is represented in her portraits. You know, she was very clever, very um, controlling around her public image.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and do you think that that's something that she perhaps inherited from her father? Well, I think Henry is... A, you
0: know, I mean, this is this kind of complex Tudor relationship with, with you know, all of the, the, the sort of very facets of Henry's nature. Yeah. Um, and I always think the Armada portrait is particularly interesting in the way, again, where um, Elizabeth is channeling um, her her father in, if you think of the, the, the kind of classic portraits of, of Henry, you know, he's always standing as a colossus, you know, this enormous man who takes up the entire sort of um, surface of the canvas. He, was, he's, he stands like a philosopher, his legs apart. You know, he's he's spreading his legs. And of course, spread legs was actually considered improper, um, you know, in, in, in terms of court etiquette. But in visual art, the stance is always associated with triumphant heroes. St George, for example, can stand in a comparable pose after overcoming the dragon. But, you know, mm. he's got these broad shoulders emphasized by his, you know, heaving clothing, exaggerating his unusual physique, you know, of a really large man. And of course, it's all centred on his sex. So he's got this prominent girdle and codpiece. Um, and of course, uh, the, the, the idea is that the codpiece would be used to search you know, store trinkets such as jewellery, which is where we get mm. the term of a man's family jewels. But of course, the problem is with Henry is he actually can't father a son. So he's all again. This is propaganda for Henry, saying that he's, despite his age, is very virile. Um, he's he's sexually active, and if you look at the comparison with Elizabeth in the Amada portrait, although again it's not overt, again this portrait she dominates the picture plane. You know, almost like her father, she's she's pictured with this enormous gown, which is most amazing. I mean, heavily adorned with the bows with the with the with the strings of pearls but if you look at the bottom of the strings of pearls she's got this enormous drop pearl and it's accentuating her sex so unlike henry which is all about virility and about being sexually potent with elizabeth she's pointing out that actually this she is chase she is a virgin this the the pearl is acting as this symbol of purity and chastity
1: that's really interesting how they're both able to use pearls to convey different kinds of messages um i find that yeah just extraordinary so what about if we think about elizabeth's successor anne of denmark who was of course a consort queen rather than a regnant queen, in the same way as Elizabeth. And what can we say about about Anne? Did she was she fond of, of jewelry and pearls? Well, um, Anne, of course, um, as indeed James did, inherited
0: um, not only um, Elizabeth's um, jewels but also um, her wardrobe. Um, and so you see portraits of Elizabeth uh, of Anne wearing Elizabeth's. Um, jewels and wearing her her pearls but I think Anne is particularly interested in the way that she is using jewels to style her hair the the Stuart dynasty when they arrive in in London I mean this is the first time that the um that that England has a royal family with young children so they arrive with great fanfare and immediately um, James starts selling off the family jewels um, essentially trading in um, the old-fashioned items of jewellery that they have inherited um, from Elizabeth, um, and commissioning new pieces. James is commissioning um, the feather, which is made out of 26 large diamonds, and um, he's wearing this in his, in his, in his hat. Um, yeah. And Anna is also, she's wearing jewels in very simple square gold wire frames as bodkin pinned into the wire pad beneath her hair. You always see in these portraits of, of Anna where she has this enormous high bouffant hair, but it's yeah. always adorned with, with jewels. And you see the same with her daughter, Elizabeth Stewart. Again, she's a sort of mini me of, an, of, of Anne, where mm-hmm. she has the, the enormous um, farthingale dresses. She's got the strings of pearls in her hair is dressed with, with jaws. And in the Cheapside Hoard, which was discovered in, um, I think it was 1912, um, you find that there are similar types of bodkins. You get these jaws um, in very simple um, framed gold, um, which uh, would be used to adorn, adorn women's hair.
1: Is that Was that a reflection of contemporary fashions then? Because I'm assuming, was this something that was yeah more personal to... Anne or was it something yeah was it because I don't I don't know if she was considered to be a trendsetter um maybe you can you can tell me maybe she was but um but yeah I, I'm just interested to know if if the uh emphasis on wearing jewels in the hair was something that was um unique to her or if it was something that was introduced by her maybe I I think um
0: again Anne um was very um because Anne has um she come you know she's comes from Scandinavia she's very um keen to assert that sense that she is a Scandinavian princess so she's not only a Scottish bride because of course when she, she marries James he is James VI of Scotland. So yeah. she's not only um, a Scottish bride but she's also um Than an English queen consort. But she Mm. has this very um, strong sense of her own identity in terms of coming from um, a Scandinavian Scandinavian dynasty. So um, she loves expensive jewellery, you know, and she's obviously seen or pictured or described frequently wearing items that reference her own dynastic importance, which is quite separate to that of, of James. So you see portraits where she's wearing... An S-shaped jewel, which is in reference to her mother Sophie of Mecklenburg, um, and a crown C encircling a four, which is a gift from her brother Christian, the Fourth of Denmark. Um, but again, she's also commissioning new pieces, so it's this idea of of changing fashion. So um, with each with each new generation, they want to identify themselves and sort of, in a way, distance themselves. So there's that
1: tension between tradition and innovation and I think that's something that I quite like about Anne because I think in many ways she's so overlooked um in terms of British Queen consorts and actually as you've been describing her and, and her um you know in her fashions and whatever it sounds it does sound like there's far more to her and that she deserves to be you know recognized as this woman who who loved jewelry as well and was you know fashionable
0: and she was incredibly cultured i mean you know the trouble is um Nicola as you and i both know you know history is written by men yeah. and so Paul and you know she's been seen as being you know a frivolous you know she's spending all James's money um you know she's 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 kind of got you know bad press as indeed you know, and Berlin has always had bad press um, yeah. but you know the Queen's House was commissioned by Anne um, she commissions Inigo Jones <clears throat> to create this new fabulous um, alternative court to James you know she's she's fed up with um, St James's, she wants to create um, a, an alternative court um, where she can basically fashion herself and the idea of You know, she's performing in masks. Um, She's highly criticised because she performs in a mask when she's six months pregnant. Um, Her dresses are too short. Um, I mean, she was a phenomenal huntswoman. You know, there's that amazing portrait of her at Oakland's where she's in her fabulous hunting greens with her black groom. Yeah. Um, And of course, you know, she's at this point, you know, we've talked about her hair and her bouffant hair. But at this point, she's, she's cutting her hair. And again, you know, James is absolutely incandescent with this idea that women are emulating men. He specifically uh, charges um, his chaplains to basically take to the pulpits and criticise that idea that women are uh, emulating men, which is a sin against nature. And for us, when we think about it, the, the type of issues that he's, he's highlighting, you know, the short hair, um, bodices uh, which are cut, in a male style, and the wearing of, of, of hats, boardroom hats with feathers. I mean, that sounds as if it's absolutely nothing. Um, but at the time, you know, James is saying, this is a sin against nature. This is women who are trying to emulate men. They just, they just don't know their place.
1: That's really interesting, um, you know, particularly, uh, yeah, particularly given that that's his wife.
0: <laughs> um, well, I mean, they, you know, it was an arranged marriage. They obviously did produce children. They had to survive surviving children. Yeah. Um, but you know they were very different characters and you know if we were to believe the rumors of court, you know James did prefer you know his young men.
1: Yes. Yeah, indeed. Um, so let's talk about one of those three surviving children who you did touch on um, on earlier, which is Elizabeth Stewart, also known as the Winter Queen. Um, so what can, we say, what can we say about her? You, you mentioned that she was styled very much as a, a mini me, a smaller version of her mother. Um, but do we think that she liked finery as well? Oh, yes. I mean, as I
0: say, you know, she has, um, she's an incredibly vivacious young woman. And again, if you look at that portrait at the age of seven, um, you know, she's styled there in Parkland. Um, She's wearing her farthingale. Um, She's she's wearing her satin dress. Um, She's got a string of pearls. She's got her fan. She's got her little hair. It's all kind of dressed like her mother. And, of course, this is all about, you know, presenting her as a viable marriage option. But she was incredibly vivacious um, and she was able to um, command such respect and such loyalty from everyone that she met. Um, And she has this amazingly close relationship with her brother, Henry, um, who's a couple of years older than her. And they're inseparable, you know, when they're in London... Um, they go shopping in the Strand, they're performing in masks. Um, but of course sadly, you know Henry um, um, catches typhoid and um, he's he's confined to his bedchamber, but she's incredibly resilient and she dresses as a as a, a a maid a kitchen maid to try and get access to his bedroom and she's constantly being rejected and constantly being um, taken away and and Henry dies with her name on on his lips so she's able to forge these really close relationships um and she she marries um henry frederick of uh henry frederick v um, at the age of of 16 and she makes this most um you know she is the most wonderful bride and you get these contemporary um accounts of her with with her wedding dress with all the sparkles and her 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 jewels and her bridesmaid and they're all described as celestial beings and you know this is the first royal wedding we've had in london for absolute decades mm-hmm. we've had elizabeth on the throne she hasn't married um prior to that you know her half sister mary mary the first um she marries philip II of spain but it's not a popular marriage so when elizabeth Stuart gets married you know the whole of London. I mean, when you think about royal weddings today, that's absolutely nothing compared with what we were experiencing. You know, in 1613, because the whole of London was coming out to see this amazing young woman and the first royal, royal wedding for absolute decades. Yeah. And she has this very close relationship um, with our husband um, Frederick. And you know, they go off. Um, they go off to Bohemia and. Uh, heidelberg and she sets up her court there she actually takes Inigo jones with her who designs a theater for her um again she loves she loves hunting and she she has this amazing relationship um with her husband but of course you know they're advised he's advised poorly and accepts the crown of Bohemia, and this is what kick-starts the Thirty Years' War, and they're only on the throne for nine months before they're exiled, and this is why you get the, the idea, the kind of derogatory term of the, the winter king and queen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when you read her letters, I mean, she was a you know, phenomenal correspondent, and you read letters, and you get mercenaries saying, you know, I will, you know, I will follow you, I am, you know, I'm committed to your cause, I will die for you. You know, and she is the original Queen of Hearts. She styles herself and she refers to herself as the Queen of Hearts. Really? Um, so she is our original Queen of Hearts.
1: See, that's so interesting as well, because I always think that her portraits don't really reflect this richness of character. I think that sometimes she looks just quite dour in some of her portraits. Um, do, you th- do you think that's, am I being unfair
0: no, well, I think, as I say, I think it's really difficult with portraits, isn't it? I mean, we're so used to now uh, with the photographic image um, and particularly, you know, with, with social media where you're kind of snapping yourself all the time. Yeah. You know, that idea of, of getting that sense of what a person is really like in a portrait is really, really difficult. And of course, you know, as I say, portraits have a political um, aspect to them as well. And certainly for women. Um, and particularly women of a young age you know um, royal women it is all about you know being presented to to them to the marriage market of course and quite often you know with your your kind of whoever you're betrothed to would not necessarily have actually seen you in the flesh you know Definitely. the first time they see you is when you're actually you know on the point of actually getting married you know everything would have been done through the painted image
1: yeah 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 very much so um so if we skip forward to later in the 17th century and i think i mean we're very lucky that we've got you know portraits of um of many of charles the second's mistresses for example by um by peter Lely, which are absolutely beautiful mm, the winds of beauties yes the winds of beauties and uh, there are a couple that that really stand out for me, but I think um, I think there was one in particular that you were going to tell us about, which was the King's French mistress.
0: Yes, yes, it is. So um, I think the, the the first thing to to remember um, with the Restoration is that you know um, again the Stuarts have to to pawn the family jewels. So we we've got you know we've got the um, you know, English Civil War. Uh, they are desperately trying to raise funds um, to support the, the royalist cause. Um, and then, of course, you know, they, they have to um, basically you know, go into exile. They have to leave the country. Um, and it's really quite sad because, in fact, Henrietta Maria spends her last night with Charles I um, in Greenwich. Before oh. she goes into exile, Charles stays, you know, and eventually, um, you know, he he is beheaded. But what's really interesting when we talk about, you know, the idea of, of royalty and pearls, you know, at, at the point of his uh, when he's being, you know, taken to the scaffold, he is actually wearing a single pearl earring. So when we look at the Restoration and we start to look at the the, the Winds of Beauty, what you find is really interesting is that the majority of them are actually only wearing a single string of pearls around their neck. Oh. Um, Which, you know, I think when you look at them collectively and, you know, you're kind of looking at them from the point of view of, you know, what is it that they're actually wearing, what the jewels are wearing, they are almost all wearing um, a single strand of pearls. Um, But the portrait that I think is really interesting, which is um, the Duchess of Portsmouth, um, Louise de, 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 de Cloel um, is that with her portrait and this is not a, 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 the, the one of the, the Winds of Beauties is that um, she's actually um, pictured with a young enslaved child um, and I think this is where we start to get that tension and the uncomfortable truth around so much jewellery um, mm. and that idea of the, the, the sort of um, English trade and empire and that plundering um, of, of other countries, which is you know quite, quite difficult you know we're, during this period Britain is actually pursuing an expansive trade in precious commodities and enslaved people. But in this particular portrait, um, which is in the National Portrait Gallery, you've got um, you've got um, Louise, being portrayed with her arm around an enslaved African child whose identity is unknown, not actually named in the portrait. Yeah. Um, and the composition really does serve to elevate the status of the Duchess. What I think is very interesting is that the child is actually shown presenting um, a shell brimful of pearls and a piece of precious coral, And this is this idea to emphasise the wealth and social standing um, of its owner
1: oh wow okay i, I hadn't realized that that was the um, the meaning behind it but what's um, also interesting in
0: that particular portrait and again louise isn't wearing the pearls uh the single string of pearls is actually being worn by the child so you've got this juxtaposition of again you know the the the, the, the dark and light the lustrous white of the pearls against the child's black skin
1: is that depiction, is that, is that the only known depiction that we have um, of pearls being in, used in such a way? Is this, I think what I'm trying to get at is, is this sort of thing quite common or is that quite unique to the Duchess of Portsmouth?
0: I think for this particular portrait, yes, it, it is quite unique. Because I say, if you put, put um, that portrait against other portraits of the period, um, it is quite unusual in that way, and certainly um, uh, with the 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 uh, the Winds of Beauties, you know, it is just you know the idea of um, presenting these women, the ladies of the court,
1: and presumably, I mean, presumably, then pearls have always been or continue to be popular in the centuries that followed, right up to the present day, when we see the Queen wearing pearls. Is that true?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they 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 do. You know, they remain popular right the way through through the um, through the eighteenth and the nineteenth century, and they then start to filter down through society. Um, but of course, pearls were considered incredibly high maintenance. You know, keeping their luster requires care, and you get um, in the Queen magazine in um, eighteen seventy one. You got um, advice as to how to keep the luster of your pearls, and. The, the article says wear your pearls as often as possible when not worn keep them wrapped in blue paper once a year they should be restrung and washing with a lava of soap and water but your jeweler should send a woman to do that do not attempt it yourself <laughs> oh you know, so you, you kind of get this sense that they're still very much considered to be um, a precious item of your jewelry box yeah. Um, and of course pearls were were, were given at weddings and, and had this association with joy but in the, the 19th century they're also directly associated with, with death so you get this kind of idea that the classical belief that pearls were created from the teardrops of the gods which links them with sadness and tears and Queen Victoria um, she actually had gars create black pearl jewellery when she was in mourning for Prince Albert mm. and of course you know Queen Victoria is kind of credited with this idea of creating uh, mourning jewellery after the death of of her beloved Albert. Um, But I think what was really interesting when we we looked at um, the coverage of Prince Philip's funeral uh, recently, what you see is all of the mourners, all of the royal mourners, all of the women at that, that funeral they're all wearing pearls, pearl earrings, and pearl necklaces, so kind you know that idea that they're directly associated with a period of mourning is quite interesting
1: okay, I hadn't noticed that actually, but you're right that's 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 quite interesting, obviously a popular choice so in the modern day what what do you think you know there's this idea of of pearls versus bling so <laughs> <laughs> so so let's talk about that i mean. Which would you choose?
0: Oh, well, that's—I was going to ask you that question, because <laughs> it's really interesting, isn't it? I think what's what's what you get is—you know—in the 20th century, you know, you got Hollywood becomes the royalty of the day. Um, so um, you get the introduction of imitation pearls um, and uh, the development of cultured pearls, um, pioneered by obviously Mikimoto of of Japan, and you're getting this whole kind of. Um, sort of new wave of women who are constantly in the public eye. So Doris Day, Lauren McCorway, the gardener—they're all among the actresses who wears pearl chokers uh, made up of uh, cultured pearls. But you've also got, obviously, Chanel. She pioneers the idea of wearing both cultured and um, natural pearls. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I say, you know, for for me, I think if you think about Marilyn Monroe, and this is the point at which start to become very sexy. It's all about um, desire, it's about sensuality. Um, and I think this is really sort of epitomised by um, the infamous photograph taken in 1962 by Bert Stern, where you've got you know, a headshot of Marilyn Monroe. She's laying back, she's naked, um, and she has a faux pole necklace around her neck and in her mouth. Um, so it's a kind of what you're getting is this sense that there is almost like a post-coital um sort of feeling around this this photograph It's a number of um, one of a number of images of monroe actually taken on a photo shoot commissioned by vogue magazine six weeks before she died um so you kind of get that sense that there is something um very sexy about this Mm. and of course you know Obviously, everyone, as soon as you start talking about this, the elephant in the room is, of course, the, know, the slang term, a pearl necklace, yeah. which kind of references the sexual act in which a man ejaculates semen on or around the neck. And this is a term that actually appears in um, one of the episodes of um, the HBO comedy Sex and the City. Oh. So, you know, you get this rise of the idea that, that pearls are now becoming
1: incredibly sexy. Do you know what? I, ha- I didn't really know very much about that, so... Uh, so you've taught me something there which is great um but what i find really intriguing as well is the way in which society changes throughout the centuries has changed throughout the centuries and the constant thing has been you know this um this penchant for pearls but it's really quite interesting to think about and consider the ways in which different individuals and different societies use them to convey different messages.
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, the the classic um, case at the moment is, um, you know, uh, Harry Styles. You know, So Harry Styles is constantly, you know, constantly being photographed um, wearing his string of pearls. And in 2019, he arrives at the Met Gala and he calls a complete stir because he wears a single delicate pearl earring. But of course, you know in the 16th century, men were wearing pearl earrings, uh, yeah. it's not that unusual. Um, but you've also got uh, male rappers, so you've got Gucci Main, you've got Svei Lee, um, Asap Rocky, and uh, Lee X, they're all ringing these strings of pearls. So you're getting these men, you know, really associated with masculinity, um, wearing not just one but actually several ropes of pearls.
1: I don't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I i love pearls i pearls i think for me will always um i would always favor pearls over bling so i think they're a classic that you know that they're, they're, they're a fail safe that will never ever go out of fashion and yeah that always look classy and elegant i think
0: well i think because they suit absolutely everyone. i mean i think that's that's what's really interesting um but I think when we talk about bling, you know, you do have these iconic 20th century women. And I'm thinking here of um, basically Elizabeth Taylor, but also Wallace Simpson. You know, yeah. These are the two, two women for me that are actually kind of um, really sort of the embodiment of bling in the in the 20th century. Um, and they're wearing, they're wearing, again, they're wearing their jewels in an incredibly overtly sexual way. Um, and I think um, when you think about, I think it was the 1970 Oscars show, um, you've got Elizabeth Taylor wearing her Taylor Burton diamond, and it's nestled right inside her decouletage, you know, so she's drawing attention. Um, to that very kind of her physicality um, of wearing this kind of jewel, and and um, her kind of you know she is one of the sexiest women of of, of the, the the period. Yeah. Um, but you know the bling, I think, is uh, particularly with with Burton and Taylor and, and Simpson and uh, Ed Ollie Simpson and Edward VIII, It's all about the the kind of passionate love affair and the tempestuous uh, rows and. You know, the idea that it's it's these jewels are really about these these amazing um, partnerships that these women and men have, um, and certainly, you know, uh, Edward VIII he insists, you know, that the Duchess of Windsor's collection of jewels be dismantled after her death. He can't because he can't bear the thought of any other woman wearing um, the jewelry that he's gifted to her.
1: Oh, really? So that's presumably. I don't know. Is that that's presumably out there in in private collections now somewhere? Is it? Well, there
0: amazingly, in... um, Elizabeth Taylor. Um, she was actually a close friend of the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, uh, oh. and so at the Duchess of Windsor sale, she actually purchases the antique diamond ostrich plume brooch. Oh.
1: Um,
0: she she absolutely loved it. You know, uh, when Wallace wore it, you know her eyes <laughs> her eyes were constantly following Wallace around the room. You know. Um so she was a huge admirer of this particular piece of jewellery. Um and so she brought it for sentimental reasons.
1: Goodness me. Well absolutely fascinating. Well, I mean, Sue, it has been absolutely wonderful to talk to you. Two to Windsor's British Royal Portraits is currently open at the National Maritime Museum now. But for People, listeners who want to find out more about you and your work, where can they find you? Oh,
0: um, well, they can find me um, at uh, the Royal Museums Greenwich. I'm senior curator of art there. Most of my work um, focuses on the Queen's House. So, um, as I say, we do have a fabulous um small exhibition of the three Amada portraits of um, Elizabeth I uh, currently on display in the Queen's Presence Chamber in the house.
1: I think that I will be one of the first people to come and check those out so please <laughs> Thank do
0: Nicola you. I'd love for you to come along and we can we can carry on our conversation.
1: Thanks so much for joining us for today's episode. And if you want to find out more about the fascinating portraits that Sue has been discussing in the episode, then you can visit the exhibition yourself at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. And we'll also be posting images of some of the portraits on our social media platforms at History Gems Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, Don't forget to hit the subscribe button, leave us a rating and a review. Join us again soon for another episode of History Gems.